You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad and uh, what would have to be uh, an iconic business in every respect in the west of Ireland is Kenny's Bookstore in Galway. And Kenny's Bookstore has a long history. Uh, it used to be right down in the middle of town and it was also a place where when it was that you could get a lot of traffic, people would just stop because the books would be outside the door. And bookstores are always a place where people like to go and browse. In fact, as many people when they go on vacations will seek out where a second-hand bookstore is, even over and above a new bookstore, because there's a vibe and there's an atmosphere. There's a whole load of things about a second-hand bookstore that isn't there when you go into a pristine, clean, all-new bookstore. And Tomas Kenny is the one that is at the helm of Kenny's Bookstore in Galway at the moment, and Tomas is here with me. Tomas, Gromila Mahagat, Tafalcha Roth, welcome, and it's a delight to meet you and chat with you. Gromila Dustin, yeah, and yourself as well. Thank you for having me. So uh, when was it established, and um, was it back down, right downtown, was the original premises, and give me a little bit of the history. Yeah, so my my grandmother and grandfather met each other in the 30s, um, in the 1930s in, in university in Galway. Uh, she was from Leitrim and he was from Galway. And um, they met and they fell in love. And they founded the bookshop in 1940 uh, in High Street, uh, as you said, in the middle of, in the middle of Galway. The, uh, my granddad wanted to start a fish and chip shop. <laughs> and uh, my grandmother uh, convinced him uh, to start a bookshop. So there was a lot of joking over the years that we'd have been Far more financially secure had we uh, had we gone for the fish and chip shop. But uh, anyway, so they, they set it up in 1940. It was initially, you know, a lending library. I mean, it was obviously World War Two was on. Times were tough. And, um, you know, people thought they were insane, you know, setting up a, a bookshop. Um, uh, but they did. And they said it was a lending library, like I said, to begin with, largely. And they kind of grew a stock over time. Um, and in the 80s we started to bring new books into the business as well as secondhand books. We started to do rare books. And also in the 60s, we set up an art gallery, which was the first art gallery in the West of Ireland. Um, and yeah, the, 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 and then in 1994, we were the first, the second bookshop in the world online. Um, and the first, we're the oldest now because the one that beat us was a sci-fi bookshop in San Francisco, which is no longer in business. So, so we're we're older than Amazon um, and uh, and the like. And uh, yeah, so it's our our story. It's been we're eighty one, eighty two years now um, in in business, but it's been one of kind of almost constant change, you know. Because, like I say, they set it up as one thing and it continued to evolve into another. Um, when times were tough, they had to figure out alternative ways of doing business. And, and a, a large part of that is because it was a family business. They had six children, five of whom went into the business. So you had seven mouths to feed from a very early age in one business, which, you know, for a bookshop, which traditionally wouldn't be making a, a lot of money, was was difficult. So they had to figure out alternatives and, you know, when there was um, recessions or that sort of thing, like in the in the 70s, they went to the States, which necessitated pretty much a mortgage at that time to go and 
and they, you know, tried to sell um, the idea of a bookshop over there. Um, so they, they did things like we became the uh, bookshop um, of record for the Library of Congress in the States. Uh, so anything published on the island of Ireland, um, they, the, 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 the phrase they use is that encourages the or increases the knowledge of the American people about the people of Ireland. So any book that does that, we then ship to them, and we've been doing that for forty years now. And, and so there's a lot of that so, sort of a lot of that sort of stuff. So Tomas, are we talking about your grandparents here now, or your parents at this stage? Of what, like, when it, the the business was initially established back, mm. as you said, back nineteen forty time frame. At what stage did your granddad and your gra- grandmother retire and hand over the well uh, unofficially hand over the reins but then officially <laughs> hand over the reins <laughs> yeah so well that's a difficult question to answer because retirement isn't a uh, a thing we do too well my dad is sitting the other side of this door as we speak and he's 77 uh, he's still coming in five days a week um my grandfather died in 1991 but he was still he was in his seventies at that point. He was still working um five days a week. And my grandmother retired uh, is the wrong word. She finished up work in uh, when she was eighty-six um in the early two thousands. Right. So, so um so who went to the US? Was that your your parents? My or grandfather, your yeah. So my grandfather and everyone kind of like did a you know, a part in it for want of a better way of putting it. But initially it would have been my grandfather, yeah. Right, and, right. and and one of his sons. Um and it could have been any one of the sons, if you know what I mean. Because yeah, because no, it's fascinating given the time frame you're talking about. And you know, we're all very familiar now with Enterprise Ireland, whose job it is is yeah. to, to help businesses attract and get into foreign markets. But you're talking about something very innovative. And not only innovative in a context of what in a in a industry or in an area that one would not traditionally say, I can get into the export business. Yes, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, and a lot of it was was luck and chance because they had no choice but to do something because they had to, they yeah. had to make money and they had to. So the Library of Congress example, my grandfather and his son Connor, my uncle, they were in the states. They, they were they were in New York and other cities, but they were in New York when we got a letter in Galway um, from the Library of Congress. And they'd sent it to every bookshop in Ireland. And they it said, we're looking for a um, bookshop, you know, for, to, to supply us, an Irish supplier. So my dad rang the um, hotel that um, his uh, brother and father were staying at in New York. And as he said, like himself, absolutely praying, they answered the, the, the phone and they were in their room because you had yeah. no idea that they but they could, and he said we couldn't really afford the phone call, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, so anyway, he got them, and he said, "Look, we've just had this letter." Um, so my granddad said, "Right." Got up the next morning, got the train to Washington, and went into the Library of Congress and said, "I got your letter yesterday," and they thought he'd flown <laughs> from, and he didn't disabuse them of the notion. Right. Uh, and uh, so they were awful impressed to begin with, anyway. We, like I said, we got the contract, which we still have today. But but that was a particularly, I mean, it's that was a huge deal for us, not just for the business that it provided, which was great, but not in itself enormous. 
it opened a lot of doors elsewhere in the States because once people hear that, well, if the Library of Congress trusts you, it's the biggest yes. library in the world. Yes. Um, you, you know, you're obviously reputable and all the rest of it and, 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 and able to do what you say because they wouldn't deal with you if that wasn't the case. So it allowed us to expand an awful lot into the States, you know. When you talk about making the phone call, you couldn't afford it. Um, I know you're a Twitter, on Twitter and I'm on Twitter and there was, I have to kind of say this morning, I saw a tweet out there and it says, um, say, so, tell something that indicates where the time, your, your period of growing up without saying the year. And someone said um, that it was, get off the phone. It's not yet six o'clock. because the rate changed at six o'clock yeah and six o'clock on a weekend then as well even better yeah yeah so so you're talking about those kind of times where you know i mean they had to go they had to go to the bank to get a loan to go to the states you know and because was the you know the the flights everything was i mean they nowadays we we travel to the states two three times a year well and, and, and 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 further afield but you know it's it's so cheap yeah. And and we go for two, three, four days, depending on what the business is. Whereas then they went for three and four weeks because the flights themselves were so expensive that it was the only way to make it viable, you know, and right. um, awful, tough, awful. Difficult. But they, you know, fair play to them. They they figured out a way to keep us in business, keep us growing, keep us moving. And uh, and I'm delighted they did, you know. So the consequences that also would have been that as a result, you were literally on the map. As I said in the intro, then it meant that particularly North American uh, U.S. tourists, when they would have come to Ireland, uh, if they were in any way in the literary area, they were probably looking for you guys. Yeah, we we did. We became very well known. And um, I think part of it was Galway itself started to become a a big arts destination. And we I don't want to say we led it or anything like it because we didn't, but we were certainly at the forefront of it. And um you know, it attracted in in and of itself a lot of artists and writers and they, we became associated with them and they with us. And, you know, Ireland, we're so lucky in Ireland that there are so many incredible writers and continue to be. So you'd have a lot of people from the States coming in who couldn't believe that my dad had a pint with Patrick Kavanagh or, you know, knew X or Y, whoever it was. Yeah. And, um, you know, there was a sort of a tactile kind of, connection to, to these to these people and you know with the best will in the world you don't get that in Eason no offense to Eason or no. to you know like to other places whereas there was always a you know I suppose a degree of romance about our shop do you know the building was 15th century uh, it was a myriad of like a, a, a puzzle maze and um, so yeah people loved it and, and still love it thankfully and, and it's it's uh you know, but it definitely something we're very, very proud of is, is that is that people do like to come and, and, and find us when they come to Galway. Yeah. And you just mentioned the building was in itself, excuse me, an historic building. And there is a. An aura and a, 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 it's nearly like going on a pilgrimage at times going into a bookstore um, for some people when they travel and that romanticism of the old building the old books and everything else. So making a transition from downtown out to where you guys are now, you're up in the Headford Road, is it? Um, to a more modern building. Was that a difficult choice? Uh, it was and it wasn't. Um, 
I suppose from a pragmatic point of view, in the 90s, we started selling a lot to Japan. Um, Japan was our, our biggest um, market and we sold, it was, it was enormous bulk. So we'd sell about half a million books a year to Japan. And as a result of that, we needed effectively warehousing type space because it just wouldn't work in, 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 in High Street. So before we left High Street, we had already kind of started to move in that direction. We'd already purchased a, another building outside of town. And, and uh, you know, the website, as, as time went on, the website became more and more important to us as well. And that obviously, you know, doesn't require a, a shop as it, as it traditionally would. So we had a business there which was more profitable, better and easier to run from outside of town. So right. from a purely commercial point of view, it was a no-brainer, kind of the right thing to do. From a romantic, sentimental point of view, everyone loved the bookshop in High Street. You know, it's where I spent every waking moment since I was, you know, knee-high to a grasshopper, and I loved it, and I, I hated leaving. But equally, you know, it was tempered by the fact that we knew from a business point of view, long-term, it, it was the, the, the right decision for us all. And we're lucky now we have the shop we have in, in outside of town, which is we're 20 minutes walk from Air Square. I mean, it's yeah. we're not far away. It's bigger than the shop we ever had in High Street, you know, and yeah. we have almost twice as many books and all the rest. And so, you know, it's, we have the same experience in just in a different way. Because I know in Galway, it doesn't matter where you park. That's one of the good things. If you can get parking everywhere is within <laughs> everywhere is in walking distance i'm I'm lucky i'm able to park and my, my sister has a place on nuns island and i can pull in there and from there i can walk anywhere yeah well every, everywhere is in within walking distance as long as the weather plays ball uh, but <laughs> <laughs> which which we're, we're not famous for our great weather uh, ah, I, I i've never had to complain except yeah i got drenched on patrick's for the patrick's day parade that was in 2019 i think maybe yeah 2019. yeah mm-hmm. um so the um you said you beat jeff bezos to the to the to the online um bookstore and you're the oldest one in the world um who was the creative mind behind that well like i said with we'd always done things a bit different and we've never, and this is, I mean, it's been never more crucial than in the last years of the pandemic. You know, we've never been afraid to change, you know, right. we never just sat with what we had, you know? So we'd, we'd open a maps and print shop. We'd open a gallery, we opened a gallery in New York uh, at one point, you know, so on and so forth. So we'd always kind of done big sort of changes. And in the early nineties, digital um, had a factory in Galway and it closed down Um and all of a sudden, you had all these software developers and really high educated, super intelligent individuals who no longer had had jobs. So one of them came to us and he said, you're a well-known product. You're a well-known name. I'd like to create a website for you and then sell that website to other um, businesses in Ireland as look, you know, what, what we can do. So um, I'd love to say it was all us, but we we had to row in behind it, you know, and we had to it was it was a big commitment at the time to kind of decide what you were going to put, how we were going to put, we had to do branding, that sort of thing, which you'd never really have done before other than over the door. And um, so we did all that and it was, it, it was great. I, we were conscious even then that an increasing amount of our business was becoming export and it seemed like a natural fit um, that if that was going to be the case, you know, but 
it was certainly challenging for the first 10 or 15 years because unless you had a lot of money to invest in it and even at that even if you did it didn't guarantee you know there was a lot of cowboys out there and it was it was was hard to hard to do but look we were we're thankful we we kept going with it it's certainly um it's certainly paying its dues now and 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 we're probably i suppose best known as being an online bookshop now even though like i say we do still have the physical uh, operation yeah, because i know that's um back as the time you guys were setting up e-commerce wouldn't have been what it is today the ease of uh, payment and all that kind of stuff uh, would have been a real challenge so you were definitely on the frontier of yeah. and working with the evolution of e-commerce yeah, well, well, we we bought uh, there was a, a tobacconist in Dublin called Trumbull in the 18th century, and in the early late 80s, we we bought his papers, and there was 80 something thousand papers. I mean, it was an enormous thing, and it was all about the mercantile mercantile um, Dublin in in the in the late 18th century, and uh, there was a tobacconist in Castle Bar who owed Trumbull money. And this is in 1798, and the French had just landed. And there was war and, you know, chaos and all the rest of it. So he had to send him a check. So he he was worried that if, because it was so lawless, the country, that um, the, the um, horse and cart was going to get ambushed on the way up, the post cart. So he, what he did was he wrote a check and he tore it in half. And he sent one in the first carriage. And then the next carriage the next day, he sent another one. And I remember in the early 90s, we used to get all these emails from people because at that time, you know, now you can pay easily online. At that time, as you said, you couldn't. So people used to send us their credit card information, but they were all worried about the messages getting intercepted and whatever else. So they'd send us half the credit card in one email and half in another. Yeah. And we were looking at this and looking at the the, the Castle Bar tobacconist going 200 years later, you know, the more ch- the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah. And uh, so, so it, yeah, it's it's a, it's an amazing thing. It, it, it changes all the time, you know. The like we've redesigned our website probably five or six times in the last fifteen years because okay. the technology just keeps moving on so quickly and at such pace that it's you know it's it's adapt or die, and you know you very quickly look old and out of place and yesterday's news, and so you've got to as best you can keep on top of your game and keep on top of it as you know. Uh, let's talk a bit about your dad and his um, love of history and the history of Galway and he has his blogs out there and I was looking at some of them. Um, beautiful stuff. Um, of course, the nature of being in the book business is you tend to have a love of history anyway. And yeah, Galway yeah. is so rich in history. Yeah, he, he's, um, he absolutely is. He, he's, you know, he wouldn't mind me saying he's obsessed with, with Galway and Galway history and, he has a collection of, I think he's got about 20,000 photographs relating to the city, um, which is easily the best collection anywhere, I'd say, in the world. And he's been writing a local history um, column for the advertiser, the local paper here for 50 years now. Um, and, uh, he, you know, he's, he's gone on to doing podcasts and, and, and all that in, 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 the, in the recent past, which which has been really successful, I think, to his great surprise and delight. Um uh, but it's yeah, we're we're lucky in that we're from you know one one of the great things I suppose about some Irish people is you know they 
if they're from a place, they tend to have been in that place for quite a while. And, uh, you know, we came from a family which was in Galway, or we come from a family which was in Galway for, for you know, well over a century uh, plus um, when dad was born. So they already had um, the bookshop, as you say, which allowed him not only the love of history, but also the facility to read history as he wanted, to find out what he wanted. He had, he had effectively a library at his fingertips all the time. And um, local history is a very modern phenomenon, which people forget. You know, it, it's everywhere now. But if you were looking at things to, to write and publish, there was very, very, very little um, about it uh, up until kind of the, the 90s. And uh, so, yeah, so he, he's, he's been right. I mean, he's, he's, he's so, so, so passionate. And, and I mean, the bookshop here and the art gallery doubles as a meeting place for people to come in and talk to him about last week's column. And his column could be like the one this week was about Nulling the Mon. Uh, last week, it could have been about, you know, the Galway minor team that won the All-Ireland in 1921. And the week before, it could have been about the War of Independence. You know, it's, it's, it's so varied and different. And he's interested in every single aspect of it. And, uh, and it's great to see because, yeah, like it keeps him young. Um, it drives my mum a bit nuts because his office is <laughs> the... The files and photographs and writings, you know, they they spill out over uh, uh, possibly more than he expects or, or in, intends. But um, and I but suppose yeah, to, mo- to most the nature of a bookshop is that the people who are going to come in, and particularly the ones that will come in to chat with your dad, you're going to get the folklore because of its nature as well. Um, you're going to get an element, as I would imagine it, that. Um, you know, one thing is going to trigger someone else's memory, and they say, "I remember my great my grandfather telling me that uh, something happened out in Barna back in 1923 or something like that." Absolutely, like the I mentioned the GAA there and and, and a Galway minor win or whatever. There's there's a, a a guy who comes in here and and he's a really big GA collector. So he he comes in every week looking at our GA section to see if we bought anything else. Uh, in the meantime, like and and he's from East Galway, but he's always looking for club histories from Armagh or you know Wicklow. It doesn't matter. Anthony can find it all. But he would be able to tell you who played fullback. You know on the Sigerson Cup winning team from you know. 62 years ago right and so when dad gets photographs you know like he waits for this guy to come in and then they look at the team and he starts telling them who the players are and you know who else would be able to help you with this and and like i say because the breadth of what dad is interested in from a historical point of view is so wide yeah it means that similarly the the breadth of subjects we have in the bookshop is, is 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 very very wide so you get as you say people from different walks of life with different interests coming in do you know the local professor of x or y we could like, oh do you know what i have this now yeah. and uh and then he dad becomes known for it and obviously over 50 years now he's become very very well known for it so people know as well if they want to find anything about out about something they come and seek him out right. and you know which which then allows for a meeting of minds in a, in a, in a different way and it's yeah it's, it, i mean it is great you know i i'm the same i love galway history and uh I, you know, I'm very passionate, so it's, it, I, I'm delighted to be able to, I mean, it's great to work with my dad full stop, but it's lovely that to be able to kind of indulge my interest and my passion at the same time, you know. And I was going to actually ask that question was like, have you inherited that? So obviously you have, 
because a lot of times, I suppose, part of life is that you tend, uh, well, I'll confess, that you tend not to, I suppose, have your interest in history awakened until you get a little bit on in life, um, until you get some of the other things out of the way. <laughs> like yeah, getting well, a job and getting a mortgage and getting it paid off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'll be honest, for me, the growing up, the really, really interesting thing for me was the War of Independence in Galway, because I used to read everything I could find on, on, on history in Ireland. And it used to always be, it used to tell me what happened, whether it was the War of Independence or anything else. It used to tell me what happened in Dublin, you know. Right. And um, and I'd go, geez, you know, I wondered at Anthony ever. And then I'd say to dad, you know, did Danny go, oh, yeah, you know, this. And we'd be walking down, you know, a street, Abbey Gate Street and say, well, just down there, you know, your granddad was shoved up against the wall. And, and of course, once it becomes real in that sense, you become even more interested. Yeah. So I ended up doing that's That's what I did my um, I, I, college postgrad uh, thesis on was was the War of Independence in Galway. And um so yeah, I I was I hadn't a hope I suppose from a from a young age I was I was hook line and sinker uh, interested in it you know and I'm glad I am because like I say it's it's uh, there's never any shortage of it here in the bookshop so it's it's good and we're coming to, to that interested. time where it's the centenary of the civil war so again you're, it would have been a time very rich in history in all parts of Ireland so right up your historical alley yeah and I mean the the civil war even more interesting again because my my great grandfather um, was a newspaper man in Galway, and he was the editor of the Connacht Tribune. To find out, so so I used that quite a lot when I was looking at, at the War of Independence, for example. Yeah. But of course, once it gets to the Civil War, he's they're a lot more circumspect in what they say. You yes. know, they don't want to offend anyone. They're kind of it's 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 very neutral, very you know, and and. Very, very, very hard to actually find out what went on. And nobody wrote anything about it. Nobody said anything about it. I still, you know, I, I, when I was doing my, my research, which is 20 years ago now, and there was still some people alive from the time period next to impossible to, to get them to open their mouth about what happened post 22. Yes. You know, but I'll, I'll talk to you at, at great length about 1916, yeah. but, uh, but not so much about civil war. So, yeah, today is the hundred year anniversary of the treaty being uh, ratified in, yeah. in 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 the Dáil. So there's there's we're we're getting to that point, as you say, where the civil war and and all the rest of it, the centenaries are coming up, and it'll be very very interesting. It's interesting when you say that. I was at a conference in the barracks in Athlone a few years back, and they were talking about the media and the print media at that time and how things were being framed and how. One side was referred to as the irregulars because, again, the government policy and things like that uh, in local papers, uh, terminology was specific uh, depending on who was, in a way, delivering the message. But at that time, I had a conversation with both John Bruton and Paddy Cooney. And the very point you just raised, and I should explain, Paddy Cooney is a former Minister for Justice and John Bruton is a former Taoiseach uh, for people. But the very point you made was that both of them said to me, I put it to them, I said, you know, we're here at a, war, a conference on the Civil War. Um, how is that uh, now at this point in time? Would this be about three or four years? And they said that's probably because anybody who might be embarrassed or have an issue with it is dead. So it's possible to actually start the narrative it's possible to start the conversation 
So yeah. it's in interesting times. Oh, it is. And it, it, it's, you know, I, I was like, we, we, you know, when, when, when England played at Croke Park in, in rugby, um, there was an element that day of Ireland kind of growing up as a nation an awful lot, you know? And, yeah. and I think part of the growing up that started with, with that type of thing, not necessarily being scared of the past anymore, um, just acknowledging that it happened and trying to deal with it as best we can, you know, because, you know, every second person you talk to, their father or their grandfather or, you know, was in the old IRA or their mother was in coming the on. But there was an awful lot of people who were in the RIC, yes. a lot more than there ever were IRA men. But nobody ever says my dad was in the RIC or, yes. and, and, you know, and, and there's a lot of, I suppose, more freedom to speak about that now. And I, I really do hope that the, the Civil War centenaries will allow us to acknowledge the, the variety of people that live in Ireland, that lived in Ireland, that lived through the time period and that contribute to the country that grew up over the last hundred years, you know. So, Tomás, next generation, <clears throat> like always with any business, business continuity planning. And I know based on what you've just told me, like, you know, you've probably another 30, 35, 40 years left in business. <laughs> <laughs> So what's what's the continuity looking like? Well, I have two daughters at home. Uh, they're two and three, so um, they <laughs> they're they're not quite at the age yet where they're being drafted in uh, either um, on a part time or a full time or a school holiday basis. But uh, it won't be long. Um, uh, but yeah, look, I. There's an element, particularly at the moment uh, with the pandemic, it's so hard to, you know, we have 86% of the books sold in Ireland are are published in the UK. So right. Brexit has made even getting getting books right. incredibly challenging. The pandemic, there's, for example, which a lot of people don't know, there's a worldwide paper shortage at the moment. Right. So they, they don't have paper to print books. And as such, a lot of books that were huge sellers at Christmas, they, they went out of print in October and they right. didn't come back in. And they're still not in print. Whereas normally they'd only take one week to kind of be reprinted. Yes. But because of all the supply chain issues and all the rest of it, it's, they didn't. So it's not that I don't want to think about uh, uh, business continuation, but I suppose we have enough major challenges at the moment to, <laughs> to, to, to jump through that I don't want to look too far in the future. So retirement is not on the books in basic. No, well, if it's not on the books for my dad, yes, <laughs> I, I'm definitely, I'll start thinking about it when he does, you know. So I guess at this stage, I should tell you, I used to own a second-hand bookstore in Athlone mm. before we emigrated. Oh, you used to own one? Is that what yeah. Really? And I had, wow. And I had uh, my, she was nine at the time when we emigrated. My older daughter was nine, but she used to come when she'd use work and she was able to calculate percentages. Really? Uh, in her head when she yeah. was seven and eight years of age because I had her in working. And we were working in 151 square feet, or 61. Wow. The reason I know it was 15 by 11. Wow. And that, was, that was the size that I was working in. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I know the book business in that sense, and I also kind of gradually morphed in and put a few, uh, a rack of new paperbacks in to, to try and drag in that bit of business as well. But I had all my repeat customers who would be back on Tuesday morning with the Mills and Boone that they bought last week. And I I was given 50% on the return, so my daughter had to understand percentages. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, she's fair play to you. And yeah, no, well, that's it. I mean, I was I was reminded more than once that labor laws did not apply to um to 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 children working in family businesses. Um <laughs> so uh it set me up when I was a kid working working in the shop for for not expecting uh to be driving Rolls Royce out of work every day. Um, I would think you could justify it on the basis it was homeschooling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> it's but it is great. I I do love the that family aspect. There are a lot of family businesses, are, and particularly bookshops. There's a lot of bookshops that are family businesses because Indeed. people that run them tend to have a really great passion for what they're doing. Um, and uh, so that's lovely to hear. Well, geez, yeah, uh, like I've you know. I've shelves on each side of me here that are my books of Irish interest. And when you were talking about the GA, I think I have the GA rules from 1932. Really? On one side of the other me there and uh, a variety of other interesting stuff um, gone back. Uh, that well, if I've you ever brought. come across one of the, one of the scarcest books in Ireland is, is a guide to coaching Gaelic football from, I think it's 1917. And uh, there's only about seven or eight, um, copies that are around that people know of um, no i don't have that so, one. yeah yeah if you ever come across it in a <laughs> yeah, anywhere yeah. Uh, let me know <laughs> will do will do tomas if anybody does want to browse your library your books and wants them shipped to canada um what's the story so interestingly enough canada is actually our our number one destination outside of ireland um it's become huge in the past 10 years, we sell predominantly to countries where um, I suppose there's an Irish diaspora, you know, mm-hmm. and, and as you well know, the amount of Irish people that, that have gone to Canada in the, in the recent past is just phenomenal. But um, without going into too much detail on post who we use for our shipping, they ship directly to the States. Mm-hmm. For every other international destination, they go from Heathrow. So they basically go over and kind of combine with the UK stuff and, and send it off. So when the pandemic started, the US became incredibly expensive to ship to because all of a sudden they were going with Aer Lingus. Aer Lingus didn't have um, uh, full planes, so they had to start charging more for the cargo and ipso facto it became really expensive. So we, we've, I won't say we've stopped shipping to the States, but it's, it's cost so much now that it's really hard for us to do it. Uh, whereas Canada, we only charge a euro a book for delivery, um, you know, and all of our books, both new and secondhand, but, but all of our new books are already discounted. So right. in other words, if you're sitting in Canada and you buy a book from us, it's cheaper than if you were to buy it at full price in a bookshop and um, right. even and get it delivered. So um, as a result of that, yeah, we, we ship we ship uh, every single day um, and we ship an awful lot. I mean, I think probably 30,000 books to Canada. I, I, I don't have, right. I haven't looked at my 2021 <laughs> accounts just yet, but right. it's, it's in the region of 30,000 packages Fantastic. and we ship to Canada every year. So um, uh, we're delighted, you know, it's, it's a really, um, it's a really great place. It's also um, where the post service, depending on where you are in Canada, it can take quite a while. Um, you know, we do notice if you're in Toronto or Vancouver, not so bad. Yeah. If you're yeah. um, some other spots, you know, maybe it might take a bit longer. But the customers um, are so pleasant to deal with in right. terms of, you yeah. know, if there's an issue, you shipped this two weeks ago and it hasn't arrived. They're lovely. They're absolutely lovely. And every stereotype about nice Canadians 
that I've ever heard has been borne out in, in our dealings with them. So, uh, so yeah, so our website is, is tennies.ie and we have everything there. It's not, you know, we're, we're, we're well known for specializing in Irish books, but there's a million and a half books on the site. So there's Anthony and everything signed, limited, whatever you want. Um, and they're all, they're all reasonably priced. Um, again, the sidebar. I actually have a copy of the Freeman's Journal in there from the morning after Arthur Griffith was arrested. Oh, well, really? Yeah. Lovely. Lovely. Not in great condition. Not in great yeah, condition. Yeah, no, they, they rarely are at the Freeman's because they, they, they used, um, really thin paper. No, it wasn't so that. It was the mice. The mice used like the tin. Oh, paper. God. <laughs> Yeah, well, that'll do it for sure. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I have a few other ones in there as well from that period. It was one library I bought, uh, and it had a it had a lot of stuff like that in it. But, yeah, yeah. Well, that's great, Damas Kenny. It has been a real pleasure uh, having a chat with you and getting to know you, and uh, hoping that the next generation continue on the great Kenny tradition. And well, this, thanks. Uh, yeah. Lovely to talk to you. I'll, I'll be sure to go home and tell Simon and Fia now this evening that <laughs> the pressure is on. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry about homeschooling. You don't have, we don't, there, you're, there's no classes today. You're coming down to work. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Gurumila Mila Mahagat. Gurumila Austin, thanks now. Cheers.